0: Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation from Atlanta, Georgia, where it is chilly. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425 if you'd like to be on the program. Now, listen, we we got somebody on hold, and and I'll take his phone call. I want to get to Todd first, though. Tyler wants to talk about Neil Young. I'm getting emails from people because I said I didn't know who Neil Young was. Y'all, I grew up in Dubai. I knew who ABBA was because they were big in Europe. I got I I, I didn't even know. Uh, Jim was telling me down the line about uh Neil Young. He left Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young. I had no idea he was a part of that. I thought it was always Crosby, Stills, Nash, so that they wanted a harder edge. I knew he did work with Pearl Jam, because I'm a Pearl Jam fan. But that's all I I listen, I, I just Neil Young, Neil Diamond, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. My wife ridicules me on my musical knowledge as well, because she's she's big into the 80s. I, I, I got no idea. If you want to know how bad it is, I know the difference now. I know the difference now. <laughs> A friend of mine is texted me saying, I know what you're about to say. Don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. When I was when I was younger, I didn't know the difference between the Bee Gees and the Rolling Stones. <laughs> I, I, I grew up in Dubai. We had camel racing and we had cricket. I mean, come on. I, I, I lived a I lived a completely different existence for me. I know the difference. That I I know that I know who Mick Jagger is. I, I can tell a Keith Richards joke, but just just we 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 move on from that. Just just deal with it. I understand that. I'll get to Tyler's call, but first I want to get to Todd's call. Who's got a great question? Todd, welcome to the Eric Erickson show. How are you? Hey Eric, I'm great.
1: I'm uh, thrilled to have the opportunity to talk to you. How you doing? Great. What's going on? So I'm uh, probably one of, uh, you know, very few callers calling in uh, who actually listens in midtown Atlanta and then one of even fewer who actually agrees with you on most of your points. Um, but you said something in, in the last hour that I wanted to, uh, you know, kind of uh, laser in a, a bit more on. Um, so you mentioned that uh, you were supportive of, of Spotify, not um, censoring Joe Rogan um, and, and, and not to pitchling to Neil Young, uh, which I agree with you on. But I'm curious how that parlays into um, kind of the other side of the coin with regards to public schools teaching CRT and and how can you be supportive of non-censorship on the Spotify side and then say you know you're not you're not okay with it on the public school side and then and then kind of an extension of that question I know you're a big fan of uh, school choice and, and I agree with you on that but uh, you are know, thinking to the logical conclusion of that, how can you say that it's not going to end up in a situation where the government says, you know, in order to receive these governmental funds, you need to you know, include X, Y, Z in your curriculum. And, and then, you know, essentially the, the, the private schools uh, become a, a, an extension of the arm of the state.
0: Those, those are um, great. Um, and, you know, by the way, I've got a, a lot of friends of mine, particularly in, in the Christian community, who are really afraid of school choice for that very reason. Um, and I I would tell them that um, it's a hypothetical, not a reality. It is definitely a concern, and it it depends on the government you vote for because it it really could happen. Uh, It could, and we shouldn't dance around it unless you put in some sort of constitutional amendment or something to protect it. So the CRT, and I think this is a great question, and it's somewhat nuanced, so just follow along with me on this one. Uh, CRT isn't, isn't something you say. It's a framework by which you teach. Uh, so with Joe Rogan, if you don't like Joe Rogan having on a Robert Malone, you can go elsewhere or leave it Joe Rogan because he's inevitably going to have someone on who disagrees with, with Robert Malone and have that conflicting information. Uh, with critical theory, it's actually a, a framework in which you teach and in being the framework in which you teach, it crowds out any alternative frameworks from which to teach. So it would be one thing, to example, be able to teach the 1619 Project in a school, the Hannah and Nicole Jones stuff from the New York Times, and then to compete with it, say, making them read um, uh, Bernard Balin's um, uh, the, the, his, uh, book on the American Revolution. Uh, but that's not what critical theory actually does. What what critical theory does is it's a framework by which you have to teach a set of facts in which you interpret the facts, uh, and the school curriculums are therefore designed around that framework uh, without the competing information there. So in effect, critical theory itself is censorious, and in fact, one of the basis of critical theory Uh, is the idea of dominant discourse. And in critical theory, and we're not talking specifically critical race theory, but the entire framework of critical theory itself through which race is involved, within critical theory, there's an idea of the dominant discourse. And the reason, for example, the oppressor class or white people uh, are dominant is because their language is controlling. And the way to get rid of the dominant people and the way to get rid of the dominant discourse is to silence it. So critical theory definitionally, and you don't have to believe me, read about critical theory. Uh, Tim Keller has a great uh, piece. It's a very lengthy uh, thing on on the world justice and the views of secular justice and and one of the segments is on critical theory and he writes about this and there are lots of citations in there uh, I've, I've sent this out before if just google tim keller critical theory you'll find it and one of the the notations there and one, one of the points is that critical theory is in itself inherently censorious critical theory requires the suppression of a dominant discourse in order to elevate minor discourses to become dominant. So for example, now what does this mean? Uh, White people, they would say in critical theory, this is what Hannah Nicole Jones does in her 1619 project, white people would say the American Revolution is focused on George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, James Madison, Monroe, uh, Lafayette, uh, Benedict Arnold, all these white people fighting. And it ignores the Crispus addicts of the world, the very first person killed in the revolution who was black. Uh, It ignores the black people behind the scenes and and those intellectual underpinnings. It ignores the tie-ins to slavery. It was shut out by the dominant discourse that makes it about liberty and freedom when in fact it was all about keeping people enslaved. And so in order to see that perspective, you must stop with the George Washington, Thomas Jefferson stuff, you must instead expose them as the racist slaveholders they were and elevate the people who really had nothing to do with the revolution, but say, well, really, it was about keeping these people enslaved. Now, we actually know that this is not true. I mentioned Bernard Bailyn; His book is The Ideological Origins of the American Revolution. Uh, prior to Hannah Nicole Jones and her idea that the American Revolution was all about preserving slavery… The dominant view of the American Revolution came around World War I. I forget the historian's name, but his idea, and it was pervasive into the 1950s and 60s, was it was a mercantilist revolution of the upper middle class. And it was that these American merchants were being financially hurt by taxation and British control of trade routes. They wanted to control the trade routes, and therefore they caused a rebellion to preserve their income stream and take over the lucrative trade contracts. And that, for a long time, before the 1950s and 60s, was how the revolution was taught in the 1900s, was it was a mercantilist revolution uh, moving us towards the Industrial Revolution. It was a necessary step to get to the Industrial Revolution by the mercantilists of the American Revolution. Bernard Bailyn did something no one bothered to do. Bernard Bailyn, I believe he was at Yale or Princeton. Bernard Balin, uh, really, it, it's, it's an award-winning book, and it profoundly changed how the American Revolution and the colonial period was viewed. And it is, in fact, Hannah Nicole Jones, although I don't know that she's smart enough to realize it, uh, is actually writing in response to Balin's historic work. What Balin did, and again, uh, Bernard Balin did something no one had bothered to do. Everyone, when they studied American history, had read the works of Thomas Jefferson. They read the diary of George Washington. They, They read the diary of John Adams. They kind of understood, they read their letters, they read their correspondence. No one bothered reading the correspondence and diaries of the middle class. Contrary to what some of you may think, the American Revolution, the colonists were a deeply literate people, and they wrote. The soldiers, the enlisted, whose names we don't even know at Bunker Hill, were writing letters to their mothers and their fathers and their wives and their children, explaining what they were doing and why they were there the people who were going around town attending the meetings of the, um, the Sam Sam Adams group, Sons of Liberty. They were writing. These were not upper class mercantilists. These were not the merchants. These were the janitors. These were the, the apprentices. These were the lower middle class and the poor, all of whom were literate. And all of them were writing about how they really were the heirs of the British Glorious Revolution. They really were the heirs of the British Civil War. Uh, the Glorious Revolution, where not a shot, was fired. King James, this uh, overthrown King James, the second overthrown from the throne. Uh, the English Bill of Rights was given these. The English Bill of Rights was given to the grandparents of the American colonists. And the American colonists believed not only were they British by right and birth, but that they were entitled to the English Bill of Rights that came from the Glorious Revolution. And these were the poor. These were the middle class. This was not the James Madison. This was not the Sam Adams. This is not the John Adams. This is not the Paul Revere's or the John Hancock's or the Ben Franklin's. This was your, your average middle class Joe Blow enlisted in the colonial army. And they, too, believed themselves the heirs of this. And Bernard Baylin says it was mind-blowing for historians of the day that Balin took the time to track down the diaries of the middle class and read them and track down the diaries of the literate poor and read them and found out they were all saying the same thing. Critical theory is not a statement. It, it, it's not a lesson that you bring in and teach. I'm going to teach critical theory today. Critical theory is a framework by which your entire education is structured, and definitionally, it in and of itself is is censorious and says you can't teach the other because the other, the Bernard Balin, it's the dominant discourse. It's the dominant prevailing thought of the age and who came up with it, a white man. And therefore, we must elevate other people and shut that aside. So if, if you want to say, how can I rationalize saying I'm against censorship, uh, Joe Rogan should be able to say what he says, but I'm against critical theory is because critical theory itself is foundational premise is silence of what it considers dominant discourses. You can't be in favor of censorship unless you're in – or you can't be opposed to censorship unless you are opposed to something like critical theory, which definitionally requires the censorship of other ideas as it builds its framework with which to teach. If you get critical theory into public schools as the framework by which history and math and everything else is taught, uh, it definitionally then precludes the other competing ideas. So I can say I am opposed to censorship but also shut down critical theory because critical theory is in and of itself, definitionally, censorship. Now, as to private schools and the concern there, what happens when people take school choice and say, all right, I'm going to go to a private school now, and then the government says, oh, now we're going to regulate private schools. It depends on the government you vote for, honestly. In Florida, they have been able to avoid Uh, the regulation of private schools while giving school choice. And it was a choice the voters made. And a school can always opt out and tell people, I'm sorry, Ah, uh, because the government has imposed these restrictions on us, and we are a Christian private school, we can't honor those, therefore, we have to you're gonna have to leave the school. We can't accept this money anymore without adhering to these regulations. It is a real problem. It is a real concern. It is a real fight. It is a real reason some people oppose school choice. But it's also a hypothetical we haven't gotten to yet, and I would much prefer us to get to school choice and then watch the legislature dare to impose, restrictions and requirements on private schools whereby the parents children are suddenly in jeopardy i think you would see a parental revolt so i'm willing to take the risk as opposed to just embracing a hypothetical of something that doesn't exist all right as promised tyler's been waiting patiently to discuss neil young tyler welcome to the program hello how are you i'm good how are you
1: oh doing well uh just a comment to neil young I said the man don't need him around anyhow.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Listen, I I, I gotta tell you, I, I am still. I think I've probably gotten fifteen emails from people uh, trying to educate me on who Neil Young is. I, I realize he's a popular musician, but I just I I'm I'm not I'm not that familiar with anything he did outside of his his stuff with Pearl Jim, and it wasn't even my favorite. Jim is is giving me down the line during commercial break the 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 411 on Neil Young and and wanted a harder edge than Crosby Stills Nash and Young and and has never quite gotten over that the softer stuff is what he was known for and I guess he's just edgy but at this point I mean he's ancient of days he's like Methuselah saying uh, um you kids get off my lawn with this stuff uh, my my suspicion is that he really wasn't getting a whole lot of downloads on Spotify anyway um it's not like the kids these days are are really desirous of hey i need my i got to go to the platform that has neil young i'm i'm pretty sure joe rogan is bringing more people in uh than neil young is bringing in and the whole thing is silly to me and listen if at least i mean to his credit i'll say i'll say something kind here that neil young is is practicing what he preaches he's he believes that what Joe Rogan is doing is going to get people killed. And so he is told Spotify, put up or shut up. And they put up with Joe Rogan and shut up Neil Young. And he'll take a hit on the royalties of his music, I suppose. And he's fine with that. You're not going to see him come groveling back saying, I'm sorry, um, put me back on. We'll deal with it. He's, He's doing it as a matter of principle. He's got enough money, I suppose. He can do this. I just find the... I I think this person's dangerous. Let's shut him up. You know the solution? When you believe someone is saying something terrible and bad and harmful, the solution should not be censor him. The solution should be let's get more speech. Let's get better speech. Let's do a better job. Let's let's explain why the guy is wrong. Let's flood the zone with people who know what's actually right. Right. Uh, The problem is that uh, the media itself has lost so much credibility and Joe Rogan has so much credibility. The media, frankly, is really jealous. The number of people who listen to Joe Rogan exceeds the number of people who watch your standard Fox News show. You'll notice Fox News is not out to get Joe Rogan, however, but the other networks sure are. And a lot of it is, if we're really honest, at the end of the day, more to do with jealousy They despise, it's kind of like the media has always hated talk radio. Rush Limbaugh, when he was alive, got more listeners on a daily basis than CNN or MSNBC got viewers. They despised that fact. And it was always astonishing to me how it never got covered in the press because it was radio and the people who write about the press and the people who are in the press, they don't listen to talk radio because they're on the left. So they they got no idea that uh, Rush was able to communicate with vastly more people. Joe Rogan is the same way. And now they kind of get it because kids are into podcasts these days and they are too and they find it dangerous well compete with him don't try to shut him up that's the way to solve the problem and by the way you are making it more likely that people are going to subscribe to joe rogan you're helping his business by being so unhinged you're actually helping joe rogan get his message out there by demanding that he be censored and none of you have a clue as to realize that's what you're doing god bless joe rogan all right all right all right, I have I, I, I have read the Wikipedia on Neil Young. Y'all can stop emailing me now. Uh, Mia Culpa, Mia Culpa, Mia Maxima Culpa. He, he's uh, the Order of Canada and the Order of Manitoba. He's a Canadian. <laughs> 76 years old. Yes, I really care what Neil Young has to say about anything. Um, I was so... I can't tell the story the way I should tell the story because it's really funny, but I was when I was at CNN one time. <laughs> I shouldn't tell the story on air, but I'm going to. When I was at when I was at CNN, oh he, he married Daryl Hannah? Oh, I missed that part. Good gracious. Uh Neil Young did. So when I was at CNN, I was in Iowa for the Republican uh Iowa caucuses in twenty twelve and Got back to the hotel, was at the bar, and it was several of the Democratic and Republican commentators were all sitting around in the bar after hours. Several had secured drinks for those of us who were late coming back because we'd been at the Rick Santorum party, and it it took a while to get it called, and Rick Santorum was the winner. It became a bit of a thing. Rick Santorum, very happy. But um, it was announced that day that CNN was hiring David Frum. The Atlantic writer, who had been a, a speechwriter for George W. Bush, uh, but, so one of the Democratic commentators was several sheets to the wind. By the time we got back, the commentator said, "Why are we hiring David Frum? Nobody's going to want to listen to David Frum. He's he's what you call he's what you call and this person was very inebriated. I I, I do have to say that." It's like nobody's gonna listen to him. He's what? What do you call him? What, what? What's the word? What do? What do you call David from? Oh, y'all know the word. What, what do you? He, he's 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 a Canadian. <laughs> oh my gosh! It was one of the funniest things ever. You didn't even have to be there. That story's just—he's a Canadian. Nobody's gonna listen to him. <laughs> Neil Young. He's a Canadian. <laughs> I'm sorry to my Canadian listeners. I know I have some. I see the data. I just thought it was a funny story that I would share. Okay, we'll move on now to other things. I promise we will. Uh, We'll get to interest rates. We'll even get to Bitcoin. But first, we must take on this story. Had the Stephen Breyer news not broken yesterday, um, I would have taken the story then. But couldn't. So I take it now. The case against masks at school. Yeah, I realize it's more on masks, and we're all tired of talking about masks. The story here, however, is not about the masks. Bear with me. I promise you there's there's something, a non-mask story here. Now, I need to read you the qualifications. Marjorie Smelkinson is an infectious disease scientist. Whose research has focused on influenza and SARS-CoV-2. COVID. Leslie Beinan, or Bynan is a veterinarian and faculty member at the OHSU Portland State University School of Public Health. G Noble is an emergency medical doctor at the University of California, San Francisco. You got that? You got the someone from the Portland State University School of Public Health, a veterinarian. You've got a doctor from the University of California, San Francisco. You've got an infectious disease scientist whose research is focused on SARS-CoV-2, on COVID, writing this article in The Atlantic. They say that up front. In the panicked spring of 2020, as health officials scrambled to keep communities safe, They recommended various restrictions and interventions, sometimes in the absence of rigorous science supporting them. That was understandable at the time. Now, however, two years into the pandemic, keeping unproven measures in place is no longer justifiable. Although no district is likely to roll back COVID policies, in the middle of the Omicron surge at the top of the list of policies, we should rethink once the wave recedes is mandatory masks for kids in school. The CDC guidance on school masking is far reaching, recommending universal indoor masking for all students age two and older, staff, teachers and visitors to K 12 schools, regardless of vaccination status. In contrast, many countries, the UK, Sweden, Norway, Denmark and others have not taken the US's approach and instead follow World Health Organization guidelines which recommend against masking children ages five and younger because this age group is at a low risk of illness, because masks are not, quote, in the overall interest of the child, and because many children are unable to wear masks properly. Even for children ages six to 11, the World Health Organization does not routinely recommend masks because of the, quote, potential impact of wearing a mask on learning and psychosocial development, end quote. The World Health Organization also explicitly counsels against masking children during physical activities, including running and jumping at the playground so as not to compromise breathing. But in America, about half of the country's 53 million children remain compulsorily masked in school for the indefinite future. 16 U.S. states and the District of Columbia follow the CDC guidelines closely and require masks for students of all ages, regardless of vaccination status. Other states rely on a patchwork of policies, usually leaving decisions up to local school districts. Nine states have banned school mask mandates, though in five of them, lawsuits have delayed implementation of the ban. Many deep blue areas such as Portland, Oregon, Los Angeles, California, and New York City have gone beyond CDC guidance and are masking students outdoors at recess, in part because of Byzantine rules that require an unmasked, exposed student to miss multiple days of school even if the putative exposure is outside. Many public health experts maintain that masks worn correctly are essential to reducing the spread of COVID-19. However, there's reason to doubt that kids can pull off mask wearing correctly. We reviewed a variety of studies, some conducted by the CDC itself, some cited by the CDC as evidence of masking effectiveness in school settings, and others touted by media to the same end to try to find evidence that would justify the CDC's no-end-in-sight mask guidance For the very low risk pediatric population, particularly post vaccination. We came up empty handed. I need you to focus on this. I need to read this again. I need you to follow along with it as closely as you can. These are three health experts one, a veterinarian, one, an emergency room physician at the University of California, San Francisco, and one, an infectious disease specialist who specializes in COVID. Three women riding in the Atlantic, and they write this, many public health experts maintain that masks worn correctly are essential to reducing the spread of COVID-19. However, there's reason to doubt that children can pull off mask wearing correctly. We reviewed a variety of studies, some conducted by the CDC itself, some cited by the CDC as evidence of masking effectiveness in school settings, and others touted by the media to the same end to try to find evidence that would justify the CDC's no-end-in-sight mask guidance for the very low-risk pediatric population, particularly post-vaccination. We came up empty-handed. To our knowledge, the CDC has performed three studies to determine whether masking children in school reduces COVID-19 transmission. The first is a study of elementary schools in the state of Georgia, conducted before vaccines became available which found that masking teachers was associated with a statistically significant decrease in COVID-19 transmission, but masking students was not, a finding that the CDC's masking guidelines do not account for. A second more recent study of Arizona schools in Maricopa and Pima counties concluded that schools without mask mandates were more likely to have COVID-19 outbreaks than schools with mask mandates. Yet more than 90% of schools in the no mask mandate group were in Maricopa County, an area that has significantly lower vaccination rates than Pima County. The study had other serious shortcomings, including failure to quantify the size of outbreaks and failure to report testing protocols for the students. The third CDC study found that U.S. counties without mask mandates saw larger increases in pediatric COVID 19 cases after schools opened, but again did not control for important differences in vaccination rates. The CDC has cited several other studies conducted in the previous school year to support its claim that masks are a key school safety feature. However, none of those studies, including ones conducted in North Carolina, Utah, Wisconsin, and Missouri, isolated the impact of masks specifically because all students were required to mask and no comparisons were made for schools that did not require the mask. Therefore, the overall takeaway from these studies that schools with mask mandates have lower COVID-19 transmission rates than schools without mask mandates is not justified by the data that had been gathered. In two of these studies, this conclusion is undercut by the fact that background vaccine rates Both the staff and the surrounding community were not controlled for or even taken into consideration. At the time these studies were conducted, when breakthrough infections were less common, this was a hugely important confounding variable, undermining the CDC's conclusions that masks in schools provide concrete benefits. Communities with higher vaccine rates had less COVID transmission everywhere, including in schools, and those same communities were more likely to have mask mandates. These are three healthcare professionals, all women. They have reviewed the studies and they have concluded that every study relied upon by the CDC was deeply flawed. And in fact, one of the major studies out of Georgia showed that wearing masks showed statistically significant benefit in adults, but not in kids. The reaction has been hysteria. This isn't about the masks. This is about the hysteria. There have become epistemic beliefs on the left that have become dogma, religious orthodoxy, that you must You must wear a mask and your child must wear a mask. And if you don't wear a mask, your child is going to get the vaccine and give it to other people and grandma's going to die. We have enough studies now globally. We know that's not true. And yet, and yet, and yet, this is important. Despite all the data And all the people who say follow the science, here are three scientists who say the data about masking in schools shows that it's not effective and could be harmful to the development of young kids. And the left is ready to cancel their subscriptions to the Atlantic and burn its headquarters down for daring to say this there are so many people living in fear right now. So many people living with fear and they can't let go of their fear. They have let their fear define them. They have let their trauma control them. They have let their trauma define them. That they can't accept reason. And now you've got people, you've got the state of Maryland saying masks will become a permanent feature in schools. They're ruining the lives of our children. We are one of the very few countries doing this. And when confronted with the science, they would rather burn the scientists to the ground. This is no different than the religious wars in the 13 and 1400s, no different from the Inquisition. It has become a religious dogmatic belief and the heretics are the ones who are telling them what the science says. And they can't believe the science, not anymore. It has become religion. And we are a society that has long believed that there should be a separation of state and and, and church. And yet the church of the mask is reigning supreme in so much of the thinking of our political elite in this country that even the Atlantic, the magazine put on coffee tables of the elite in this country so that people know they're virtuous and elite and smart and educated can come out with something like this, and now the Atlantic is going in the trash because they've confronted people with the truth, and the truth conflicts with their ideologies, and they'd rather embrace their ideologies and make your children suffer. You know one thing they could do? They could run the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. It gets rid of the bacteria, the mildew, the mold that floats in the air, and it clears the air. I use it in my kitchen. We don't have an exhaust fin in the kitchen. It works. It really does. I'm going to have to run one in my kid's bathroom because she hadn't been using the exhaust fan and the ceiling's got mildewy. They work and you can get three of them at EdenPureDeals.com. Click on my name, Eric Erickson. You'll see the Eden Pure Thunderstorm three pack. Put it in your cart and at checkout, you will see a discount code box. You put in Eric 3, E R I C K 3, E R I C K, the number three. You will save $200. You'll get all three of them for less than $200 and you'll get free shipping. Phenomenal deal on a great product. You can put one upstairs, one downstairs, one in your basement. Take one, put it in your car, take it with you in a hotel room. I do that. You can too. Edenpuredeals.com, click on Eric Erickson and check out the discount code is Eric and the number three. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I I need to actually say something here. Um You know what? Uh, Yeah, those of you on the phone, I'm sorry. I got to do this. So just be patient with me. I'll get to you. Brian Stelter of Reliable Sources on CNN uh, put up a tweet. And he said, when Ronald Reagan pledged to name a woman to the Supreme Court, did he have an entire network of hosts and guests raging about his decision? I think I know the answer. And then he tweeted later about it. Do any of the pundits who are outraged over Biden committing to nominating a black woman even know of this Reagan history? Will anyone tell them? Now, I was born in 1975 and was five years old when Ronald Reagan got elected president. And Ronald Reagan campaigned and said in 1980 he would put the first woman on the United States Supreme Court. Joe Biden is saying he will only put a uh, non-white woman on the Supreme Court, and a lot of conservatives are saying, this is outrageous, you shouldn't do this. You know what? Back in 1980, the conservatives were outraged at Ronald Reagan for doing this, and some of them blamed George H.W. Bush for moderating Reagan's vision. Ed Meese, who became the attorney general, did not like it. Phyllis Schlafly was opposed jesse helms opposed jimmy carter the democratic incumbent president said that it was inappropriate for ronald reagan to do that yes brian i know the history and i realize you're trying to play gotcha but it's making you look like a partisan defender of president biden if you're gonna throw history at us learn the history major conservatives in 1980 criticized ronald reagan for saying he would only put a woman on the supreme court and jimmy carter did too That's the actual history of it. If you want to play gotcha games, at least get it right instead of just linking to an old Washington Post story. It's 2022, and guess what? Nothing still makes sense. The whole world seems to be going crazy right now, and banks have gotten really skittish at helping small businesses. They're perfectly happy to help the giant businesses. But what about you? You're a small business. you got to buy a building or build a building, or you need a big loan for a fleet of vehicles to grow your business, and the banks are giving you a hard time. Check out my friends at First Liberty Building and Loan. They can help you nationwide, wherever you are. If you're a small business and you need access to loans, let's say 500000 and up, First Liberty can do it. They've been doing this since the early 90s. The Frost family are friends of mine. They're committed Christians, and they're great business people, and they are committed to small businesses. Reach out to them. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. FirstLibertyGA.com. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if they're a good fit for you. See if you're a good fit for them. They want to help you get to yes, where the big banks are saying no. Nationwide, they can help you if you're a small business. FirstLibertyGA.com is the website. FirstLibertyGA.com.